turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. It's our privilege to move through this book, and it's a, it's a joy to, to just see the origin of, of everything, <laughs> to see the origin of where, where we have come from and God's work and God's plan being acted out, and it's a joy to, uh, to be able to study these things out. It, it fills in our life, the history of our life, who we are, where we're going, how important spiritual things are. So it's a, a joy to be studying these things. I want to begin to look at two different sections here in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Read a couple of verses there. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I have put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bear forth children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And if you skip down to verse 20, it says, Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, what a joy it is to be together on this Mother's Day, just to be able to honor our mothers. What a glorious thing uh, that you have wrought to produce a, a godly woman to, that, that, that can give life and produce life. What a, what a joy that is. And Lord, as we celebrate the, today, may we do so with fullness, may we do so with accuracy being fully informed by your word of what we are doing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are celebrating Mother's Day, and it is a good thing to celebrate. Uh, So I looked up some statistics about Mother's Day so that we can, um, just so you can be aware, it is the second highest giving uh, holiday of in the United States of all the other holidays. And that first one would be Christmas, right? So we give gifts on Mother's Day. That's just what we do. In fact, it says 96% of Americans are going to participate in Mother's Day in some way or the other. 96%. That's pretty, pretty high. But, you know, I'm thinking about the other 4%. Do they not have mothers or what? what is the deal? Americans are going to spend, now be ready, Americans are going to spend 23,000, no, I'm sorry, $23 billion uh, on Mother's Day. That's amazing to me. Amazing. It's an, an industry. The average gift is going to be $180. Now, I can just tell you, some people are going to be shortchanged in my house. Jewelry is the number one gift, $4.6 billion on jewelry. 36% of Americans are going to do that. $4.4 billion are going to be spent on dinner today. Okay? So wives, be be ready for that. Mothers, 
Uh, there's going to be other gifts. There's cards and flowers. And like I said, somebody's going to be shortchanged. But that's the way it is. There's, this is the peak day for calling, right? The long distance, there's more long distance calls than any other day of the year. And, uh, and what is the motivation for these calls? Um, most, uh, mo- mostly are motivated, they say, out of guilt. Because they haven't talked to mom the whole year, but they'll call mom once a, once a, a year. And so they're motivated out of guilt, sometimes out of manipulation, wanting things out of mom, something like that. Some may be genuinely loving their mothers. We hope that that's what it is. Genuinely loving and honoring their mothers on this day. It's a good thing to celebrate Mother's Day. It's a biblical thing, I think, to celebrate Mother's Day. We'll see. I think Adam was doing that. It's a good thing to celebrate, but I think it's better for us as Christians to celebrate motherhood. It's one thing to celebrate a mother, a person, but it's another thing to celebrate motherhood. Something that that God has instituted. He invented motherhood. And so we're really celebrating that today, I, I think. Now, let me say this too, that the attacks that we see on genders... Attacking gender sexuality today is, is, I believe, really a direct attack on God himself. And I think we'll see that today. It's a direct attack on God himself and his created order. And I want us to, to see that uh, just by, I want us to define a little bit and have a, a clear understanding of what motherhood is as we, we leave today. So I want to kind of define motherhood from a biblical perspective. Um, now, this is kind of, of tricky. We do have to use biblical terminology here. We have to do so uh, in a day, though, that, that can't seem to define what a woman is. Um, so we are trying to define motherhood. But we have to use biblical terminology because this is our source, folks. This word is our source. Not popular opinion, but... But scripture, and so we have to look intentionally, deliberately into God's word, into scripture, and let it influence us as opposed to the world's influencing and the world defining our terms for us, the world setting our agenda for us and framing up our arguments for us. We can't we cannot do that. So we have to we have to think biblically. And the first thing that we see in Scripture is that God made them male and female, right? That's where you have to start. He made them male and female. Two genders. And they're different. They're different. They can do the same thing, many of the same things, but they just do it differently. They can sing, but one's going to have a higher voice and one's going to have a deeper voice. They can do a lot of the same things, but just differently. The thing is, they're, they're different in many ways, and they're different with a purpose. God made them male and female. He made them distinctly different. So that you can see, you could tell a female or a male from far away or, or even up close, you can, you can tell. Generally, you can tell. Different by design. The bone structure, they, they dig up these bones in the Middle East and Egypt and and, uh, and, and it's amazing to me, and they can, they can know the, the gender of that bone, where that bone came from. And, and again, it, it's just, it, God made them different. 
different capacity, different biologically, chemical makeup, different, different reactions of chemicals that are going on inside, different psychologically, uh, mentally, thinking different, uh, different skills, abilities, different desires, different strengths and, and weaknesses. Now, it can be hard to define because many of the same things can be done, but it's just, it's just different. They, they share the world, but it's same world, but it's just a little bit different. One thing that we see in Scripture that's not different is there in Christ there is no male or female. They're not different in Christ. So spiritually, they're the same. There's no distinction there. There's no difference. But we do see in Scripture that they have different roles and different responsibilities. We see that in Scripture as well. Different they're different by design. They have a different reason for purpose for life. And their gender, now you need to understand here, their gender then matches, from God's perspective, it matches their roles and responsibility. Now, now we live in a day that wants to disconnect that, but God says, no, those two things need to come together. Gender roles and responsibilities need to come together. Gender and roles and responsibilities come together. Come together. Now, to fail to see that, to fail to understand that, is to choose to be blind. (laughs) It's choose to be blinded by Satan. And essentially rebelling against God's design. And that's what I think we see today. They hate God. They're shaking their fist at God. They do not like God's design for our sexuality. And they're, they're fighting against God in this. But God has designed them to, to be different so that they can be mutually dependent. So that there's a, a compatibility there. So that they're, they're distinct. And, and, and so that they can be mutually dependent. God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. That helper is going to be female, compatible with him. And men, we are to live, we see in the New Testament, we see that uh, Peter, I think it said, we are to live with our wives in an understanding way. So we are to consider her perspective on life. We have to understand things from her, her vantage point. And we need to, to see that. And that vantage point needs to be seen in every area of life. In, in church life, in family life, uh, even in business. Men, you want to get your wife's opinion on things. Government even. We have to, we have to see that female perspective. So I think there's some balancing that can be done in society. But, but we have to acknowledge, we, we need to know that God made us different. So that she can be a help to her husband. Distinct. Different. Now, let's, let's then try to define just a little bit. What is a, a woman? I, I know it's a little, little sketchy. Um, but why, why would I even have to do this? It seems a little ridiculous, but we, we live in a, a day that, uh, you could stand before Congress and say, well, I don't know what a woman is. I'm not a biologist, uh, so I don't know. But yet a, a kindergarten student using a, a triangle can draw a woman, right? For some of you don't get that. The triangle is just her dress. And they know the difference. A kindergarten student knows the difference. I mean, they see that. You don't have to be a veterinarian in order to, to recognize a dog, right? 
Everything depends upon the expert. Just because I'm not an expert, I don't know what a woman is or a man is. That, that's foolish. And, and sometimes I believe we're just playing these silly games. And one of these days, I believe that the, the, we're going to find that the, the emperor has no clothes. And we're just all of society is playing this silly game. And at some point, they're going to have to wake up. But by, God, by God's design, they are different. They are distinct. Now, here's the, here's the problem, though. Man in his sinfulness, we, we tend to go to extremes. And, and the pendulum swings from, from place to place, or, or maybe from generation to, to generation. So on one side, you may have a, a, a strong distinction between male and female. And you have these macho men that, man, that, that can stop bullets with their teeth. Or you have these, these uh, divas that, uh, that think they uh, own the world. They have to be... They have to be catered to uh, all, the, all of the time. These hyper men, hyper women, extreme, extreme. That's not where we live. That's not the biblical center. So the pendulum sometimes swings on the other side. And I believe that's kind of where it is today. Very little distinction. There's, there's really no, there's kind of a blending, in fact, of the male, female, and uh, there's very little difference, and so what you seem to have today is a masculine female and a and a effeminate male. We'll look at those terms in a little bit. But God made them distinct, and He wants them to be distinct. He made them male and female, and those genders tie into their roles and responsibilities that they play out in real life. And we are male and female down to the very cells of our bodies. In, in that scene. Now, my concern, uh, my concern is that now, by the by the way, you you, you can look at um, you you can call uh, up Alexa, she knows everything, right? So you can call up Alexa and say, okay, Alexa, what is a female? And she could say she would say uh, a person with two chromosomes. Well, that doesn't help us at all, does it? No, we, we know that there's a difference. We know that there's, there's more than that. We need to see that our, um, that our gender and our role must go together. And I think they go perfectly well together in motherhood. I think that's exactly what we see. Let me just indulge me again just a, a little bit. Because I think there's a danger today. I think that the problem is so often we adapt what the world, what's going on in the world. That's just kind of what we do. And the world right now is, is trying to be gender neutral. This whole idea of gender neutral. And the blurring and the blending of the genders so that you really can't tell and there's really no distinction. Um, but that's not exactly, that's not at all what we see in, in Scripture. We don't want to play that game. We don't want to play that world's game. We don't want to, to be, have the world define us and define what we do. We want Scripture to be able to do that. But I, I'm afraid that sometimes we as Christians, we will, we will kind of blend those roles. We'll kind of go along with the world because we don't want to be seen as a traditionalist and so we, we kind of, well, we'll just, we'll just merge the two. We'll just kind of fudge in this, in this little area. But I think God calls us to clear distinction. 
And I think we need to teach our children that there are clear distinctions of male and female. We don't let them choose. God has chosen that. If we let them choose, if we don't make clear distinctions, as God has done, the world will rush in, folks. And the world will define male and female for us. They will cause confusion in our society. And things will not be biblical. Things will not be biblical. Not to the glory of God. And that's exactly what Satan wants. In fact, he wants to what? To kill, steal, and destroy. And that's his, that's his desire. So, how do we go about understanding these things? I, I want to kind of define define a, a man for us. And then we'll, we'll come back to the woman. Because we see that role played in, uh, in her motherhood. But First Corinthians chapter, First Corinthians chapter one, chapter sixteen, and verse thirteen. There's one verse that I want to point out to you. First Corinthians chapter sixteen, and verse thirteen. Paul says this: Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Okay. Now, he's talking to all believers. All believers are to to be strong, to stand firm, to to have conviction, to have the fortitude, to have determination. All Both genders are to have that. But to illustrate that, he pulls from the uh, an illustration from, from the man's strength. Be as strong as a man in your spiritual life. Strong in conviction. Strong in determination that Satan is not going to blow us off target. That we're going to stand in the truth. And so Paul defines these things using the image of a, of a strong man. So we can understand then, using a biblical understanding here, we can, we can define manhood at least something that is strong. Strong. Let me take you to the other extreme. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, you have a... A different scenario. Paul's giving a list here of ungodly traits. And, and here's what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So these are unrighteous. They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And here's a list of them. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters. Worshipping idols, adulterers, those who are living together before marriage, effeminate, now there's our word, nor homosexuals. And there's two words at the end. Now the ES, uh, ESV, I believe, they just kind of merge those into one word. That's why I like this translation a little bit better. Because there's actually there two Greek words. And this word is effeminate. That's the, the best translation. And it means soft means uh, soft, but soft by perversion. Men who are soft pervert intentionally, by, by definition, effeminate. That's, they're not strong. So you have strong. Men should be strong, standing firm. That's the image of a man. Not, not this way, not effeminate. So that, that should define us or help us define this. Now, we have a situation today, folks. That our men are wanting to be trying to be women and women are trying to be men. And there's a crossover. 
cross-dressing even. It's forbidden in the Old Testament. We see in Genesis chapter 6, we saw that, that, that there's a perversion there when even when the angels are trying to cross over into flesh or when uh, men with men, women with women, there's a perversion there, a perversion of the flesh. And that's the tipping point. That's what Christ says. I give them over to degrading passions. It's the tipping point for God, I, I believe. Men are to be strong, protected. Strong and providing for life. The women, on the other hand, are to give life. Women are, 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 are different. They're, they can produce life. Conceive. Men, on the other hand, are to protect life. You say, well... Any woman can have a baby, and you would you would be right. You know, sometimes the Lord prevents them. And, and just the producing a woman producing life does that make her uh, uh, buying into brother uh, motherhood? And and I would say no. I think there's more to it than that. And I think we need to do this because I think there's a, a skewing of of motherhood today, and it's being redefined for us by these sitcoms. Um, this idea sometimes of, there's a couple of, you have this authoritarian mother who is just kind of distant. They just give instructions to their children, just kind of raw, kind of base, no grace there. And they just let their children go their own way as soon as, as soon as possible. But then you have the other woman who is, has no authority. More of their friends just, uh, more of their child's just best friend every once in a while maybe give advice. That kind of thing. But motherhood is a high calling of the Lord. Motherhood is a high calling of the Lord. A mother is one that that embodies godly truth. Godly truth. Living it out on a daily basis. And that's going to impact the world. Okay, now let's come back to that definition in a little bit. How do we define motherhood? I just want to define motherhood for us. Genesis chapter 3. So go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. I think this is what we see Adam doing in verse 20. We see Adam celebrating his wife. Not only Eve, I think, but also motherhood. In verse 20, it says this. Now the man called his wife's name Eve. The word Eve there means life. Living. Living. Now, what Adam is doing here, and it's just a beautiful picture. He didn't name her Eve because she has a bubbly personality. Didn't name her her life just because or living because she uh, she's exuberant. No, he's he's trying to erase the the stigma there that that could be there. She was the one that brought sin into the world. She was deceived by Satan, and uh, she brought sin into the world, and it turned the world into a, a harsh place and everybody could point to Eve and say, oh, it's because of her. And Adam says, turns it around and he says, no, she's going to be Eve, living, living. In fact, the mother of all living here. And, and this is this is a ray of hope for them. It's a ray of hope because God said in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. But they didn't die and so now they can procreate. Now, now there's, there's hope there. Now, 
Only a woman can do that. And this is, this is the epitome of the woman. It's tied to what, what she does. Tied to her gender. Only a woman can do this. There's men today, believe it or not, men today that claim to be able to give birth. And, I, you know, just mind-blowing. And what you, you read the article a little further and you find it's this, this woman who crossed over to be a man and now she's giving birth. And just, again, mind-blowing. Doesn't, doesn't even make sense, but that's the world that we live in. God designed a woman uniquely with the capability, with the capacity to conceive life inside her. That, that's amazing. To sustain that life and protect that life for nine months and then to, to give birth. That's, that's incredible. That's an amazing thing. But who gets the glory for that? God does. He made her like that. If you start changing that, that's changing what God has designed. It's a beautiful thing. And God gets the glory. And I believe man is trying to rob God of his glory by changing these things. They, they try to make up their own design. They kind of hijack God's design and, and try to make it better. They're just stealing, recreating their own Agendas And essentially, what they're doing is rebelling against the Lord in the process. And they're destroying His glory. Destroying His glory. Ultimately, they're just trying to be God. So, we celebrate mothers, but we also celebrate motherhood. But we celebrate in a day where motherhood is, is, being, is, is on the decline. God is not getting His glory by... By us exalting motherhood as much as we should. We need to exalt motherhood. Why? Because he designed that. And you say, well, you could put a a bottle of milk in a man's hands and and he can feed that baby. Yeah, he can do that. Two men can raise a child. Yeah, that's been done today. You see, single dads uh, in, in difficult situations raising children. Yeah, we can do that. But those are emergency situations. Emergency situations, folks. Those children can grow up. They will grow up. That's what will happen. But everybody recognizes. Even statistically, you look that up and they say that a woman needs to be in that home. There's a need there by God's design. It's not ideal. There's a woman that is needed. Everybody recognizes that. You can... Do those things in emergency kinds of situations. But to fulfill God's plan, there needs to be that influence of a woman. Now the question is, and you, this should be coming to your mind, because Adam and Eve were told to, to be fruitful and multiply. Does that mean then that, that Eve was just cranking out babies? Is that all she's good for, just cranking out babies? Not at all. Not at all. In fact, what you see in this verse, and let's go back to our verse. Let me read it again. This Now, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, there's a lot more to that word mother. And to understand that, we have to go back to verse 15, chapter 3 and verse 15. When we see this conversation that God is having with Satan who tempted Eve... He says, now there's going to be friction here. There's this spiritual warfare that's going to happen. There's going to be enmity between you and the woman. That's Satan. 
and the woman and be between her seed and your seed, your seed and her seed. Now, what does that mean? She is going to have, and we, we saw this before, she's going to have a godly generation. She's not just cranking out children. She is producing children that are bent toward God. A godly seed. That's the kind that's going to combat Satan. Children that are bent toward God. So what you see in, uh, is that God has allowed her to reproduce physically, but also reproduce spiritually. This godly generation. She is the first one to present the gospel. And she, she can do that while nursing, while weaning these children, while mothering these children. Her ability to, to give life is one thing, but her ability to, to bend that little child toward God, to nurture that child, is an amazing thing as well. And that's what we see here in the context. There's a couple of verses that I want you to, to see here. First Thessalonians chapter 7. 1 Thessalonians chapter 7. Because this word, this idea of nurturing, Paul uses it. It's pretty interesting. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7. Paul says this. He said, But we prove to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother, tender, caring for her children. That's the picture. That's, a, that's not just someone that's having a baby. This is a nurturer. This is someone that's taking care. There's tenderness there. There's a, a love that is there. And again, bending that will toward God. Go a few pages over to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and verse 3. Verse you probably know, older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. Teaching who? So that the younger women, so teaching the younger women, teaching what is good. Well, what is good? To love their husbands and to love their children. It's not just just having babies. There's a nurturing there. And then there's a, a love there. Teach them to love their, teach them how to love their children. That's passed on from one generation to the next generation. The practical how-tos. In fact, the word love there is not the agape love that you would expect. It's the phileo love. It's the family love. And it's a very kind of sappy, sappy love. Affection, caring for, nurturing, tenderness there, gentleness. Not distancing. Her whole focus is upon these, her husband and these children. And she's the, the mother. And she, she tenderly cares for and protects and, and gently, uh, 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 deals with these, with her family. That's her focus. That's her ministry. Now, now folks, that's the picture of motherhood. That's a picture of motherhood. And if we don't get that, we're going to adopt the world's image, the world's idea of motherhood. And it's, it's not a good picture. In fact, the way we looked at, again, Genesis chapter 6, we saw man in his sinfulness, left in his sinfulness, is going to drift toward corruption, going to drift toward violence. And that's exactly what you see today. Violence. But you know what? Paul, 2,000 years ago, can write about a nurturing 
mother. And give us a picture of that. And we understand what he's saying today, 2,000 years later. Why? Because that image sticks in our mind. Because we know that image. We understand that. There's a, a love, there's a compassion there that we see. That's, that's motherhood. So we celebrate something, folks, that someone a hundred years ago recognized that mothers were a, a contribution, was a contribution to society, and we need to celebrate that. That's a good thing. Motherhood is a wonderful thing. It contributes to society. And what we see in Scripture that we, we see mothers protect like, like Moses' mother. Protected Moses, Jochebed. And you have Samuel's mother sacrificing him over to the Lord. You have Samson's mother pleading for a child. You have Jacob's mother wanting the best for him. You have Christ's mother standing at the cross, loving him. He's on the cross. He's dying and she is, she is there. She stood with him. You see... James and John's mother, concerned for her sons. And you see, you see Timothy's mother training him up. That's motherhood. That's what we see in Scripture. Motherhood is essential. It's not just, not just having babies, but it's influencing those babies, raising those babies up to glorify and honor the Lord. How does she do that? With her own life. With her own life. She may have a few years, but the, the years that she spends with those children bend them toward righteousness. Bend them toward the Lord. Let me show you one example, just briefly. We won't keep you much longer. In First Samuel, <clears throat> I want you to see the example of Hannah. There's a lot of good examples in Scripture. But the example of, of Hannah, we see in chapter 1. And basically the whole chapter. Let me give you a context here. Hannah lived in a day of of corruption. Much like we would see today. No clear direction from the nation. No spiritual... A lot of spiritual decline. Spiritual bankruptcy. Spiritual paganism. A lot of false teachers. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. There's disunity. And corruption. And she was living in that environment. And her husband had two wives. She was one of two wives. Um, Verse 5. We see her pain. But Hannah. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Verse 5. But Hannah. He would. uh, But to Hannah he would give double portion for his Love, he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. That's her pain. She could not have children. And her rival, this was the other wife, uh, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And down in verse 8, she would weep, she would cry and plead to the Lord. So that's Hannah's pain. We see Hannah's prayer in verse 10. She goes to the, the temple and she is greatly distressed in verse 10, prays to the Lord and weeps bitterly and, and says, here's what she says. She made a vow, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on your look on the affliction, affliction 
of your maidservant. Remember me and not forget your maidservant. I will give you your maidservant. If you would give your maidservant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And we'll take a vow for that. She said, if you give me a son, I'll give it over to you. That's her prayer. She's, she's casting all her anxiety on the Lord and putting this on the Lord. Her priorities are seen in verse 23. She follows up the end of verse 23. And this is just a wonderful verse. So the woman, this is Hannah, remained and nursed her son until he was weaned. That's where the motherhood is. It's not just having babies, but nurturing those babies. Getting them to the point that they are weaned off of you. They, they can stand on their own and glorify the Lord on their own. And in verse 28, we see the present that she gives then to the world. For the Lord had answered her prayers in verse 28. So I will also <clears throat> dedicate, dedicate him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he will... He is dedicated to the Lord and he will worship. And he worshiped the Lord there in the temple. He gave him back to the Lord. And of course, Samuel was a godly man. In an ungodly time, he was the one that the whole nation rallied around it. And he brought unity to that nation. He stood. He stood alone. But he had respect. He was a godly example. And he was a kingmaker. He was the one that installed kings. And it came from just just this one woman's desire for a child. And her determination to wean that child and to bend him toward the Lord. That's motherhood. That's the power of a mother. And she influenced a whole nation because her willingness to sacrifice her only son. Wonderful picture of salvation, isn't it? See, what do, what do we do? What do we do with these godly women? How do we celebrate properly? In Proverbs chapter 31, it's a verse, a passage that was read for us earlier. Proverbs chapter 31, it says this, Her children will rise up and bless her. Her husband also and praises her. They, they trust her. They honor her. They, they have respect for her because she was a godly woman. She lived out godly principles to her children. And they become godly. They see the same principles that she does. And, and they say, yes, she was the epitome of, of motherhood. Of what it meant to be a mother. Now today, folks, I, I believe we have a, a women's agenda. A women's movement that are pushing us. Um, and we see it in this downgrade of motherhood. Motherhood's being pushed off. Today it's 27 is the first, uh, they, they have their first child at 27. It's the longest time, I think, in history, maybe. Putting birthing off till they have a career first. Um, and they're being told, our young children are, and our young girls are being told that it's better for society that you get out and you have a career. That don't waste your talents. Or develop this skill or that skill because you're going to waste it. But it really, I think, comes down to control. I think it comes down to, to power, to money sometimes. But here's what's happening. I think we're producing a generation of women that are competing with men. 
learning to compete with men. Instead of compliment men, coming together and compliment men. They're not complementarians anymore. They're competing against men. And folks, that's going to destroy. It's going to destroy marriages. It's going to destroy the family. You see, not every woman is designed to have children. Yeah, the Lord showed that with, with Hannah. There are certain jobs that women can do even better than men. They're certainly gifted. Yes, they can do that. <clears throat> and we can look at society and say, well, is there a need for workers? Yeah, there's a need for, for workers. But if you want to influence society, it's going to be one mother at a time. And it's going to be godly women that are bending their children toward godliness. And you, you can compare it, compare it to this. If you want to influence society, you can go back to the horse and buggy days. And you could try one woman at a time to, to, to make her impact in society. But if she can produce a generation, if she could produce children that can bend society, that's like driving a Porsche. It's like driving a Porsche. And it, our, our society would say, no, let's go back to the horse and buggy days. You no, know, you know, we have godly women that can influence an ungodly society. And they can do that by motherhood. By working in the hearts of these children when they're young. Bending them toward God. Motherhood is a high calling. A mother is embodied with, with godly traits. Godly truths from the word of God. They can live out that godly life on a daily basis in front of these children. Calvin, I'll close with this. Calvin, he understood this. He understood the, the power of women. And in his day, in, in France, there's a lot of women being persecuted and, and being put to death. There's a persecution there in France. And he was writing, actually, to, to try to curb this. But he's, he's talking about these godly women who embodied truth. And they were living it out on a daily basis. And he said they were more impactful than the modern sermons of that day. They, their lives and their godly children were springing up and they were being killed really by the thousands. And he says this, he says, how many thousands of women have there been who have not spared or who have spared neither blood nor their lives to maintain the, ma- the name of Christ? And to exalt his reign. That was these godly women. And they were standing. They were standing strong. And they had an influence. He goes on to explain how important their influence was. Even, even more than the most powerful sermon today. So we, we could celebrate mother. We could celebrate your mother. And that's a good thing. But when we celebrate motherhood. We're celebrating something that God did. And God gets the glory for God, for that. God can work in, in a heart and change that person from the inside and make them godly, produce godliness inside so that they <clears throat> become a godly mother and work with their children and produce a, a whole godly generation. That's the power of motherhood. And that's what we celebrate. That's what we see in Scripture. And that's what we strive for. And men, many of our women are, are godly examples of this very thing. And they need to be exalted. They need to be honored. And it's a wonderful thing to do so. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, I thank you.
I thank you for the godly women among us. For your, your gospel, transform a life. Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't, doesn't understand this, doesn't understand the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who God has worked, you have worked in their life through faith in Jesus Christ, turning from their sinfulness and turning to Christ, being in Christ and, and having their life changed. I pray that you would work in their life. May they, may they put their faith and trust in you. And Lord, thank you so much for the godly woman among us, the godly examples that we have, I thank you for my godly mother. Lord, what a, what a joy it was to have a godly mother. May we never take motherhood for granted. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.